Welcome to podcast episode 212. I'm Stuart McCullough. I'm the CEO of VHAA. And joining me for this week's podcast is the manager of workplace relations services, Tim Nagel. Welcome, Tim. Hey, Stuart. Good to be here for a start of a new year. Uh, Tim, it may be a new year, but some things don't change. You know the drill. Uh, you're going to have a look at a clue, and based on that clue, you're going to identify the subject for today's discussion. Here's that clue right now. So uh, that looks challenging. So that's a little bit challenging. Uh, once upon a time, that kind of high quality entertainment could be obtained simply by traveling to the Dandenongs and going to the Cuckoo restaurant, but that is no longer possible. Um, perhaps that's a little bit unfair. We'll give you a little bit more footage. Tim, for the benefit of those people who are listening to the podcast rather than watching, uh, how would you describe uh, that video? Well, if I could put it into words, and I am struggling to put it into words, what I'd say it was is a, a video of, of two people playing a particular type of uh, musical instruments um, and a type of music that looked maybe German because uh, of the outfit. Uh, so two German music performers, I think you'd, you'd, you'd describe it as. That's a fair description. So. Uh, there used to be a thing called international travel, whereby you would leave your own country and spend time in, in another country. So based on that clue, what would you say the subject for today's uh, discussion is? I'm just trying to tie in the, the German theme, but I think it's clearly something to do with um, the uh, music therapist classification structure. Tim, you couldn't be more wrong. Uh, today we're going to be talking about annual leave. Uh, we're going to be talking about annual leave specifically with respect to the nurses and midwives agreement. And um, this is part of our implementation series. Uh, and the clause in question is clause 57 of the 2020 nurses and midwives agreement. And just to fit that theme, I prepared a small, small cocktail uh, in order to support that general, just to get people in the mood uh, to talk about annual leave. So cheers. Uh, we've also prepared a small, but I feel amazing title sequence, uh, which will now flash up on screen. Is that beach really entire? Yes. Uh, Tim, today we'll be covering the entitlement generally, but we're going to focus on three areas in particular. Uh, that's right, those three areas uh, on screen at the moment. So firstly, uh, changes to the eligibility for an additional week of annual leave with respect to weekend workers, and that will uh, take effect from the 1st of July 2022. High demand holiday periods, and finally, excess annual leave. So Tim, let's, let's dive straight in. Tim, let's start with the obvious question. What is the entitlement to annual leave? So let's, firstly, casual employees are excluded. So for a casual employee, the answer is zero. Uh, but what about those uh, nurses and midwives who aren't casual? That's 190 hours paid annual leave for each year of service. 190 hours uh, based on a 38-hour week, that, that's five weeks of, of annual leave. So correct, but there are two key things to note. The first one is that the entitlement accrues progressively. 
you don't have to complete a full year before you get annual leave. And secondly, the entitlement is prorated for part-time employees. So 190 hours is for a full-timer. Tim, the uh, clause also provides for uh, an additional 38 hours for a weekend worker. And that begs the question, what is a weekend worker? So there's a change here, and that change takes effect from the 1st of July 2022. So that's an important date to remember. So let's start with uh, pre-July 2022. Uh, I take it that the definition of weekend worker for before that period is as it has been for a long time. Yeah, that's correct. So you'll see the definition uh, on screen at the moment. And what that says is a weekend worker is up to the 30th of June 2022, a full-time employee required to work ordinary hours on weekdays and weekends throughout the year of service. In this case, the pro rata calculation will be based on each month in which the employee is engaged to work ordinary hours on weekends and weekdays. So, Tim, a couple of things about that. Firstly, it's specific to full-time. Yes, and although there's been the subject of disagreement sometimes in terms of the meaning of that subclause. Uh, Tim, it also uses the expression uh, required to work ordinary hours on weekdays and weekends throughout the year of service without actually explaining what throughout the year of service means. And that's precisely been what's the subject of disputation has been over the life of the existing agreement. So as a general principle, where there are terms of an agreement that have been disputed, bargaining is an opportunity uh, to resolve those disputes. Is the approach set out in the BHIA bargaining framework, which members can find on our website? Uh, so Tim, let's get to the first of the key changes that we wanted to highlight today. Uh, and this change takes effect from the 1st of July, 2022. It does. So that's on screen at the moment. What that says is the weekend worker is on and from the 1st of July, 2022, a full-time employee or part-time employee in accordance with 57.2, required to work ordinary hours on at least 10 weekends per year which for the purposes of this subcourse includes a Sunday night shift. In this case, the pro rata calculation will be based on each week in which the employee is engaged to work ordinary hours on weekends. So there's a lot to unpack there. Firstly, the additional week uh, for, a, for a weekend worker is available to full and part-time employees. Yeah, so pro rata for a part-time, which is what uh, 57.2 says, so that's a bit of a change. And secondly, Sunday night shift, which of course reaches into Monday morning, is explicitly explicitly recognised as a weekend shift. Yeah, so uh, correct. And it requires that the employee work at least 10 weekends per year. So if you're off until Sunday night, you've worked that weekend, effectively. Um, so previously, it was the undefined weekends throughout the year of service. The new requirement is for 10 uh, weekends. Uh, why the change? Firstly, it resolves a long-standing ambiguity. Secondly, it aligns with a number of other health sector agreements, um, allied health professionals, health and allied managers and admin. So now there's a clearer rule, greater consistency with other health agreements, uh, and it definitely applies to, to part-timers. Correct. Uh, I do want to highlight a particular sentence if I could, and I'm just going to bring it up on screen. On and from 1 July 2022, a full-time employee or a part-time employee in accordance with 57.2 required to work ordinary hours on at least 10 weekends per year, which for the purposes of this subclause includes a Sunday night shift. In this case, the pro rata calculation will be based on each week in which the employee is engaged to work ordinary hours on weekends. What does that last sentence mean? 
Uh, so essentially, it refers to the value of a week for a part-time employee. Uh, and then those terms are followed by the following statement. Uh, save that an employee required to work ordinary hours and weekends who does not meet the requirements at A or B will be entitled to additional leave under this clause on a pro rata basis. So that's right. If you work weekends but don't work 10 weekends, you still get something. In fact, the agreement sets out how rate of accrual uh, occurs as follows. Uh, so accrual rate, the further 38 hours annual leave is credited to a weekend worker as follows. Up to the 30th of July 2022, at the rate of half a day for each month worked as a weekend worker, up to a maximum of 38 hours. And B, on and from the 1st of July 2022, at the rate of three-point hours for each week worked as a weekend worker, up to a maximum of 38 hours. So, Tim, noting that this is a change in terms of the entitlement for weekend workers, and change is always tricky, uh, are there some savings provisions? Yes, there, there's a savings provision to make sure people don't go backwards. So firstly, to whom do those savings provisions apply? So firstly, it applies to those who at the 30th of June 2022 were weekend workers. So that, uh, so we say, would, would be full-time employees who are already getting that additional week. Correct. And people who would qualify for the additional, except that they were on parental leave, uh, have a flexible working arrangement or individual flexible working arrangement. So that's interesting. Now, people who would be entitled but for those arrangements, like the parental leave or flexible work arrangement. Tim, can you give us an example of a scenario involving a flexible work arrangement? Apple of that is a full-time worker who was a weekend worker and receiving the additional leave, had a piece of parental leave and returned to work part-time on a flexible working arrangement. Uh, and this is somebody who's still entitled uh, to return to work on a full-time basis. Yes, that person's entitlement to the additional week is preserved and they're, and they're not subject to the 10 weekend requirement. And when does, uh, under what circumstances does the savings provision for an individual employee cease? Uh, so there's a couple of circumstances that will lead to its uh, cessation. The first one is new role. The new rule is more favourable. The employee changes employers. The employee moves from full-time to part-time work, except under 16 or 16A, such as family violence arrangements or return to reduced hours following parental leave. Uh, and finally, an employee initiates a change that means they no longer perform weekend work. Tim, Clause 57.3 concerns the taking of paid annual leave and provides that paid annual leave is taken for a period agreed between the employer and the employee. So yes, and the term also states the following. So firstly, except for a high demand holiday period, an employee will submit a written request at least six weeks prior to the first day of leave. Uh, secondly, the employer will notify the employee within 10 weekdays in writing if the request is approved or not approved, and if not, the reasons why. The employee must not unreasonably refuse to agree to a request by the employee to take paid annual leave consistent with the NES. And next, if leave is approved, it can't be unilaterally changed. In extraordinary circumstances, it can only occur through consultation and agreement. Finally, it is likely the application will be rejected. There's consultation over alternative days within the 10-day period, although there are other rules for high-demand holiday periods that should be considered. Tim, let's talk about high demand holiday periods, starting with what is a high demand holiday period? It's not prescribed. Really, it's any period where you know the demand for leave will be greater than can be granted. 
So a classic example would be school holiday periods or, or Christmas periods. Exactly. So what is an employer obliged to do with respect to high demand holiday periods? Uh, to publish the requirements for taking leave during a high demand holiday period is the key. Okay, so publish is always an interesting word. Publish is really about making something uh, transparent. Yes, the one key complaint about high demand holiday periods can be that people miss the chance to be considered and that the same people get preferred treatment. So it's about that transparency. So a clear, transparent process helps guard against claims of preferential treatment. Uh, and in terms of what is being published, uh, what must an employer make clear? Firstly, the employer must identify the high demand holiday period. And using our example from before, that might be school holidays or a Christmas period. Correct. The employer can take a consistent approach, but it can vary what is a high demand holiday period from ward to ward. So, for example, the staffing profile on a particular ward might mean that there isn't competition for schooled holidays, as we talked about before. So the employer publishes the periods it says are high demand holiday periods. What else? The employer also specifies the dates by which a written request for annual leave should be submitted. So that's the date by which people who want to take that uh, want to take leave during that high demand period, the date by which they need to apply. Correct, and the date by which the employer will notify the employee in writing that the application is approved, or if not, the reasons why. I think one of the important things about that is that it means that there's no advantage to putting in a leave application for a high demand holiday period super, super early. That's right, putting an application in two years in advance won't give the employee any advantage. And it also means that everyone can be considered. Uh, the clause also imposes requirements when considering applications for high demand holiday periods. Yeah, so the considerations listed within the agreement are as follows. Uh, firstly, the employer's operational needs, the employee's family responsibilities, and finally, whether previous applications for the same high demand period were or were not successful. Tim, so let's discuss uh, excess annual leave. The previous agreement had terms for managing excess annual leave, but these terms have been amended. Yeah, they have. So during the life of the last agreement, the excess annual leave provisions of the, of the modern award changed. So the agreement has been updated to incorporate the new modern award terms with the agreement terms. So as always, when we talk about this subject, it's worth emphasising that excess annual leave terms are a tool that can be used if necessary. You should start, as always, with a simple discussion. It's also worth remembering that there's been limited access to annual leave as a result of the pandemic and that there is some sensitivity on this issue currently. That said, let's explain the term. Uh, clause 57.4 sets out a general term uh, that defines excess annual leave as being uh, more than two years' worth of annual leave accruals. Uh, yes, and uh, where that's the case, the clause says the employer or the employee may seek to confer with the other and genuinely try to reach agreement on how to reduce or eliminate the excess leave accrual. Really important to note that it can be initiated by the employer or the employee. Uh, the clause also provides uh, or sets out what genuinely trying to reach agreement means, and specifically that it includes providing the employee a reasonable opportunity to submit a plan to reduce the leave to not less than eight weeks worth of accrual. And the employer not unreasonably refusing to agree to a leave reduction plan, which may include saving leave for an extended vacation within 12 months, if that's what the, that's what the, that's what the arrangement is. Okay, extended vacation.
A leave reduction plan is to be in writing and signed by both the employer and employee. Tim's subclause 5 applies where agreement on a leave reduction plan can't be reached. It does a couple of things. Firstly, if a leave reduction plan can't be agreed, an employer can direct the employee to take annual leave. But in directing uh, the employee to take annual leave, uh, the employee can't be directed to reduce the accrued annual leave to less than eight weeks. The period can't be less than one week. Not less than eight weeks notice, but not more than 12 months notice to take the leave. And the direction can't be inconsistent with any leave arrangement agreed by the employer and employee. There's a key point, even when a direction is given, the employee can still make an application as though no direction was given. Because ultimately we want people to take leave when they want to take leave. Um, whilst the term has provisions for a direction to take excess annual leave, an employee in some circumstances can give notice requesting to take one or more periods of annual leave. It does. Where the employee has generally tried to reach agreement but agreement is not reached, the employee can give a written notice to the employer requesting to take one or more periods of annual leave. So are there other requirements uh, as to when such a notice can be given? Uh, there is. So a notice can only be given if the employee has had an excess leave accrual for more than six months. The employer hasn't issued a direction that together with other paid leave arrangements wouldn't eliminate the employee's excess annual leave. Can't result in less than six weeks annual leave being residual. It's not for a period of less than a week. It doesn't commence sooner than eight weeks or more than 12 months from giving the notice. Must be inconsistent with an agreed leave arrangement and must not be for more than one year's full entitlement. Highlight. Well, at subcourse 57.8, for example, it describes how to calculate normal weekly hours for part-time employees. I think that's an important point. So that term provides that for those part-time employees who perform additional shifts, the normal weekly hours will reflect those additional shifts. Which in practical terms means that a part-time employee will receive more than contracted hours if they do additional shifts. Which is such an important thing for employers. It means that employer doesn't end up carrying an annual leave liability based on additional hours. Absolutely correct. Tim, with that said, I think it's time for me to head off to my imaginary pool, uh, and I can't think of a better way to end this podcast than with a further burst from our friends, Diawitties. Thanks, Tim. Thanks, Stuart.